Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we let our thoughts wander over issues to do with cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories including an Australian car sharing company takes on Uber. We chat to our own Brian Smith who was a key speaker at a recent forum on transport and how it shapes our cities. We road test two Peugeots which have the GTI badge. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories, including a Jaguar ad enlists Stephen Hawking as the villainous mastermind. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can podcast this program or segments, including longer versions of the interviews and quirky news, by looking for Overdrive on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to start the program, let's have the news. Uber has competition. An Australian company which has developed the taxi booking app GoCatch is taking on the international juggernaut by launching a new service. GoCar. GoCar is the country's first locally owned ride-sharing service and will be launched in New South Wales and then in the ACT to areas that have deregulated the use of Uber. GoCatch says that GoCar will provide competitive pricing for both drivers and passengers. Fares will be 20-30% cheaper than an off-peak taxi ride and 10-15% cheaper than peak time taxi fares. Drivers are charged a 15% commission versus Uber's 20%, and GoCatch claims that they will earn at least 10% more on each job compared with Uber. Big-name investors, including billionaire James Packer, Sikh co-founder Paul Bassett, and the Prime Minister's son Alex Turnbull, are all involved with GoCatch. More than 350,000 Australians have downloaded the GoCatch app since it was launched in 2011, Time will tell if GoCar catches on to the same extent. In today's ever-changing motoring world, traditional car companies are looking to broaden their markets. Ford has recently created a new subsidiary devoted to advancing transportation technologies and business models involving ride-sharing services, autonomous cars and vehicle connectivity. In part, it will develop commercially ready services and invest in promising mobility-related ventures. Meanwhile, General Motors has just bought Cruise Automation, a San Francisco-based startup. They make an aftermarket system of sensors and software that allows late-model Audi A4s to drive themselves on the highway. It has been reported that GM bought the company for a cool $1 billion. Owners of Hondas with crash avoidance features are much more likely to have forward collision warning turned on than the lane departure warning system, according to a recent report. The report is based on vehicles brought into Honda dealerships for service. It found all but one of 184 models equipped with the two features had forward collision warning turned on, while only a third of vehicles had lane departure warning activated. The report says the findings are consistent with previous research showing that vehicle owners found lane departure warnings more annoying than other crash avoidance technologies. 
Tesla has pioneered the use of advanced battery technology in cars, but it may be industrial and commercial vehicles that will push the innovations in this area, according to a report by research firm ID TechX. The most important sector is buses, where innovation often comes before cars because they are less price sensitive. In their latest report, they show how the Chinese are now dominating the market, buying the most buses and innovating rapidly and creating the lowest cost base. Owing to the relatively large size of batteries used in electric buses, fast growth could lead to the electric bus battery market surging to $30 billion by 2016, according to the report, and possibly surpassing the consumer electronics battery market as soon as 2019. If you thought Australian roads are bad, spare a thought for British drivers. A major survey of UK drivers by the Automobile Association has found 39% suffered pothole damage over the past two years. Scotland heads the list with a massive 46% of policyholders recording pothole damage over that period. Most of the incidents produced tyre damage, but 28% also included wheel and tracking damage. And four percent of vehicles required bodywork repairs on top of all this other damage. And still in the UK, drivers and cyclists are being encouraged to exchange places in an attempt to improve road safety. England's Enfield Council and the Metropolitan Police ran an exchanging places exercise set up to raise awareness of cycle safety. The event allowed people to sit in the driver's seat. Of an HGV or bus to get a better understanding of what the driver can and can't see, especially with regards to cyclists. One councillor said that he was shocked by how restricted the view is from the cab. A new study from the MIT suggests that font size, type, and colour all play a critical role in how easily we can understand that text. It also notes that our degrading ability. To decipher that text happens at a much younger age than we initially thought. The Best Ride website has compared the dashboards of two Chevrolet Impalas that were built 40 years apart, and found, not surprisingly, that the latest cars has a wealth more information. All of this information is meant to be read and processed at a glance, but manufacturers of automobiles, mobile devices, and wearables. Have little or no science behind their decisions on fonts, font size, or font color background. And on a related matter, about a decade ago, the font on highway signs around the U.S. was changed from Highway Gothic to Clearview. Now, after years of research, it's going back to the original font, Highway Gothic. That has been the news. Just the other night, I went to a major forum in a city in Sydney、uh, about shaping our city and the effects of transport. It was put on by the Arab Consulting Group,、uh, of which one of the main speakers was our very own Brian Smith, who joins us on the line along with Errol Smith. We'll talk some quirky news later, but let's talk more about the serious subjects of transport and the effect that they have on shaping our city. Brian, thank you very much for your time. Good day, David and Errol. Welcome to the discussion. Thank you, David. Thank you, Brian. Now, Brian, you began your talk with a graph that really wasn't 
immediately apparent why it was related to transport. Can you describe it to me? That's right, David. The graph is about uh, how heterosexual couples in the US first met between uh, 1940 and 2009. And, and you wouldn't think this has anything to do with transport. But what I was trying to illustrate was the, the rapidity and the um, dr dramatic outcomes from um, uh, people's adoption of new technology. So what you have are the conventional sort of met at college, met at work, met through friends, met at a restaurant. Uh, and then at about 2009, 2010, a, a brand new entry comes in, met online. And uh, the trend for this, uh, all the other trends, you know, stay pretty much the same. But once met online comes in into force, it, it dives upwards until uh, within a decade, it's the basically the number two um, means of uh, meeting people and, and all the others have, have dived downwards. Um, so meeting online replaces most of the other means of people meeting. And that data only went up to 2009. And I imagine meeting online is now number one. But uh, it was just a nice illustration uh, of, of how dramatically uh, new technology can change people's behavior. Mm, that, 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 that's probably, uh, probably pre-Tinder and those oh, types of, uh, of, yes. uh, of uh, more, more direct uh, dating apps. So, uh, yeah, it certainly Yeah, you're exactly right. But, but I, I think your point, Brian, was that, that transport also has also had an influence on dating. I think you go back to cars that when came in. If you go back to 1900, the average US male travelled 19,000 miles in a lifetime. Now they travel almost that per year. I'm not trying to be just male. That's just where the statistics are. But, of course, the car changed that. And, of course, it changed genetics enormously that you could go across town to meet a, a, a partner. You could go a much greater distance. So it goes greater diversity. Now the next stage is this Internet where you're meeting across the world. And you may never meet physically meet the person on the other end and <laughs> discover that they're a Russian mafia person rather than the uh, attractive woman you thought they were. Yes, I wonder whether that's a, a measure of who you think you've met and what uh, <laughs> uh, uh, represents a partner in the short term versus long-term consequences. One of those things are, that we thought early in the piece was uh, that you know, soon after the internet became a tool for meeting people, people might have been a bit embarrassed to to admit that they met people on the internet and perhaps would you know, say if they had their first date at a restaurant, that's where they met. But I suspect we're beyond that uh, now and that, um, you know, uh, the stigma of, of meeting online has gone away somewhat. They asked the question at the forum, and it was a good one, uh, what do we think is different now in terms of travel than when we grew up? And, Brian, I, I think what we were talking about, the fact that when we grew up, you just hopped in the car anytime, anywhere, and drove you think that that may change a bit? Well, yeah, I think there's still a, uh, a large factor in our travel patterns is our freedom to do that. And I think that now that we ha can get a lot more data on people's travel and we have a lot more connectedness uh, and we're more used to the idea of uh, user pays for, for online activities, then really we can start to, I think, apply some of the real costs of travel to people. Uh, and to help uh, them to you know, make better choices and perhaps uh, make more sustainable choices about where they live and where they travel to. 
it's not a communist rule that says you can't do it. It's just giving more information. There used to be a program called Smart Travel, may still be going, which makes people sit down and think about how they're travelling and is it efficient. If you've got a price on that, or even the fact that to travel in the peak hour, you may have to book your time ahead, it's not saying you can't do it. It's just saying that there may be more information about that, how much it will cost you, and perhaps more availability of capacity, whether that capacity is actually available. Thus, it may make our choices of travel more planned and more carefully considered. It would be good for people to think more about their choices because every vehicle on the road is having an impact on any other every other road mm. user and so uh, we're not really at the moment paying anywhere near the true costs of of our travel to the community um, and yeah it'd be just nice to be able to get an understanding of what the options are and of course digital provides us with a lot more choices and a lot more options for for how we can travel gentlemen lovely to talk to you in a minute we'll talk some quirky news And there's a longer interview with Brian and Errol where we cover such great subjects as how to make bus travel much more sexy. You can hear the extended interview from our website at drivenmedia.com.au or go to your favourite iPod service and get the Overdrive program from there. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. If you type GTI into Chrome search engine, most of the first references are to the Volkswagen Golf. Now, GTI stands for Grand Touring Injection. It was first started in 1961 with the Maserati 3500 GTI. That was really a two-door sports car, more in the line of sort of an Aston Martin. But in 1976, Volkswagen launched the Golf GTI, which was the beginning of the trend of the GTI, meaning a hot hatch. Now, Peugeot has had their 205 GTI. They brought out in 1984 a great cult car and a number of car makers have used the moniker. Now, Peugeot also has the 308 GTI now, along with the 208, the latest version of their small small hot hatch. Uh, and they have a similar approach, but I think they are, feel different in some important ways. On Overdrive, we had an initial drive of both Peugeot cars. Now we have had them for a week. The 208 GTI starts at just over 35000 to get it on the road, including all dealer costs. And the 308 starts at about $50,000 to get it on the road. To help us discuss the cars, on the line I have independent motoring commentator Brent Davidson. Uh, Brent, the 205 uh, Peugeot GTI, it really was a great, uh, and is a great cult car, isn't it? Oh, David, it was a sweetheart. It was such a sweetheart. I remember, remember that car well. It, it was a, a head turner, um, and it just did nice things. And uh, when you opened the doors, I remember the test car I had, uh, the interior was red and black, and my wife nicknamed it Postmodernist Brothel. And I thought, that's just lovely. That's, that, that says a whole lot about this car. And it was just a fun thing to drive. And Peugeot has managed to bring that same element of fun into these these latest range of cars. Now, I've got to tell you that when it comes to that fun factor, 
I'll put my two bobs worth on the 208, but when I want a car that does uh, serious touring, I would plump for the 308 any time. Yes, of course, GT used to be grand touring, luxury, sort of uh, Bentley, uh, elegant, uh, again, a sexist comment of, you know, gentlemen in the Britain touring through the countryside. But GT has become much more sport and, and engine performance. And GTI, of course, has become hot hatch. Now, the engine in these are very similar. Well, in fact, they're the same, aren't they, well, you were saying? Pretty much. I mean, we have a 1.6-litre turbocharged petrol engine, capacity 1,598 cc's, bore and stroke 77 millimetres by 85.8 millimetres, and they're the same dimensions in both the 208 and the 308 GTI uh, trio. We'll call it the trio. We'll get that in a minute. So, theoretically, your 147 kilowatt 208 could be could be tuned up to run 200 kilowatts that you get in the in the full house 308 yeah. GTI. Now, I was talking to the guy the other day who runs an engineering company and whose uh, boss was a lover of things called the, the, of the DeLorean, as from Back to the Future fame. Uh, and we were talking about uh, this is how in the past young kids would get grease under their fingernails adjusting carburetors. He said, he said you know, well, what's a uh, spanner? What's a, a, a screwdriver? From my point of view, what I do is I adjust the technology on the car and uh, you know the the things like the computer chip and so uh, things have changed a lot and here's a classic example of it. the base the the 208 how much horsepower would that have well kilowatts okay kilowatts there uh, 147 at 5500 so it, it develops its power at a not too high a number uh, torque this is the, this is the nice thing 275 newton meters of torque but it's at 1700 so the thing is barely above idle and it's got maximum pulling power which i find quite attractive i mean we, we always talk about power but the real thing we want under our under our uh, right foot is is the torque output no torque yeah. no go I used to define torque a bit like a draft horse and power a bit like a racehorse, that's but that's a, that's that's a little bit simplistic. But yeah, it's that sort of deep down pulling power that uh, you really want, uh, particularly if you're overtaking, for example. Absolutely, and, now, and David, simplistic. I'm a simple man, so there you go. Brent, lovely to talk to you. Uh, thank you for that. I appreciate your time greatly. David, it's always my pleasure. That's Brent Davidson, uh, who is an independent. Uh, motoring commentator is also very, very good at writing and proofreading particular material. And there is a longer interview with Brent about the two Peugeots where we talk about which car has the most power, but which car also has the most practicality. Go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au Overdrive For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. And we get uh, Errol and Brian back again uh, this week. We will talk about some quirky news. Gentlemen, Jaguar have just put out a new ad. It's for their F. Pace 
car, which is an SUV. It sort of uh, fulfills a, a, that image that they created of the James Bond character with a, a controller like M, only in this case the controller is Stephen Hawking. It, uh, is this an interesting image, a valuable image, for trying to sell what is basically an upmarket SUV? It's interesting. It, um, it doesn't begin with, with Hawking. You've kind of given away the punchline. We have a different actor, Luke Allen Gale, playing the baddie, and, and he goes to the sort of the secret base. And, of course, there is the ultimate evil genius, which is, of course, a real genius in Stephen Hawking. Does he have a white cat or anything with him? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see the evilness of it quite so pronounced as they claim, you know, in their publicity and that. It leads, of course, to some terrible puns, you know. You're late, says Stephen Hawking via his speech generator. And the, the answer is, well, time is relative. And he says, well, don't be a smart aleck. Well, yeah, they then use lies like we are master of time and space. The thing about it, it is far more image than functionality. The car has an interesting function. They have a waterproof wristband, so you can go surfing, leave your keys in the car, come back, wave the wristband at the back, and it opens the door. This is Mm. a fantastic idea, I think. If you're going to go to to the beach, you can lock your keys inside the car. You don't have to worry about hiding them in your towel and stuff. And... Yeah, you come back to the car and you can use this waterproof wristband to get back in. What a brilliant mm. idea. Yeah, just leave it on your wrist, yes. And, of course, he hands, when, he, when he parks the car, he hands that to the, to the bombshell girl before he heads into the, you know, evil HQ. See, I miss the subtleties. I'm, it, it's all over my head. I'm, I'm too... They're just cashing in on the, the whole sort of, you know, James Bond thing, of but, course. But why be the baddie? That's what I don't understand. Why does Jag- what does Jago get from it? by associating with the baddie rather than associating with the goodie. I just think it's being different, Brian. Everyone's trying, every other vehicle manufacturer is trying to be sort of, you know, the goodie, the, the car the, the hero drives. But if you're, an, if you're an evil genius and you've picked a Jaguar, maybe you're onto something. <laughs> but you're always going to be defeated by the goodie. <laughs> what, what, in, in, in the Aston Martin. This is the Donald Trump principle. Ah. <laughs> you're going to be arrogant outward and what, and you're going to dominate the world, so you might as well be on their side. Errol, you have a story. Well, speaking of evil geniuses, or not so much in this case, uh, if you ever want to get away from the cops, don't use the example of a crook from San Jacinto County in Texas. His choice of getaway vehicle was not a uh, Jaguar sports car. His was bright pink, uh, not hard to spot. It also barely did five miles an hour was only a few feet long and ran on batteries and was designed for children between the ages of 5 and 10. Uh, Police couldn't believe their eyes when they spotted the suspect, who was wanted for credit card fraud, driving a kid's toy car. He was arrested on the spot with officers joking that the vehicle didn't need to be towed. I wonder if it's because it was pink. Is is this a right-wing conservative thing that's uh, suggesting a guy should not be in a pink car? Are we? Uh... Oh, I just thought you were saying he had bad taste and that's what he was arrested for. <laughs> I-, I wonder, did, did he use the credit card fraud to purchase the, the pink toy car? <laughs> the toy car. Yeah. Do you think, David, if he, he, had, he chose a darker colour, he might have just disappeared and blended in? Yeah. I, I, I think it's uh, you know, based on uh, our disagreement with uh, uh, gender issues. 
<laughs> the other point about it is, it looks remarkably like a kid's version of Homer Simpson's car. Oh, oh yes, okay. Yes. It's not like a little model Cadillac Escalade or something like that. Well, it is, it is a, a Cadillac Escalade, was the model. Now, I often thought that this raises a whole issue, which the internet is swamped by, by what sort of car Homer's old beaten-up pink car is all about. Some people say it's a Plymouth, a 1974, no, 64 Plymouth. I think they uh, claim that it is. But the lights at the back are vaguely Cadillac-like, I think. So yeah. I always thought it was that. It may just be a generic cartoon vehicle so that they didn't have to pay any royalties. <laughs> <laughs> That's my best bet. <laughs> Some people say it's a 1974 Volvo because it's very square and that. It's got a, a, a Trackstar 8-track radio. It's got a bent aerial and a driver's side airbag. Uh-huh. Brian, a story. Yes, David, it's, this comes from the sort of things you wish you could do uh, category. It's um, a gentleman called Dennis Nickel who, who was arrested in Chicago uh, last week, accused of, of basically using a cell phone jammer to create his own personal quiet train carriage. Uh, he's been doing it for nearly two years, and uh, apparently uh, people got used to the to sort of recognising him. Uh, he didn't like it when people spoke on their mobile phones in his train carriage, and uh, he would pull out a device that he bought on the internet from China, which would jam all the signals. So uh, he would uh, turn and scowl at someone talking on a phone, pull out the device, press a button, and then suddenly all the phones uh, around wouldn't work. So apparently the cops had enough time to uh, set up an undercover sting or, or didn't have any other real crime to pursue. Um, so they watched him enter the station, they followed him, and while uh, he was on the train, um, the police on the phone nearby um, noticed him turn it on, and once uh, their phone call dropped, uh, they uh, they pinged him. He'd, it's not the first time he'd been caught. He used to, he also got in trouble for it uh, in terms of a misdemeanor jamming of cell phone calls in 2009. This time it was a felony, unlawful interference with a public utility. Now, um, I don't know. I I often fantasise about having one of those devices. I have to say, um, not for everyone, but for those awful people who who overshare their personal issues. Yeah, so I, their voice I, I, in a the, carriage. The, the problem with this one, uh, these, Brian, is that they're, they're a, a sort of a, um, a all or nothing. So they block everything. So what yeah. I want is one that I can discreetly point at Targeted. an individual. All right, gentlemen, next week we're going to talk about wooden cars and other issues that are more quirky in their nature. Thank you very much for your time today. Cheers, David. Cheers, David. That's Brian Smith and Errol Smith. We're talking some unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. And you can hear an extended interview with Errol and Brian and myself where we discuss more subjects including a beauty about entertainment on trains. Go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the quirky news from your favourite podcast service.
And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and you can podcast this program or segments, including longer interviews and quirky news, by looking for Overdrive on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.